Josh, final episode of the summer of the school year before we take a break. Have you enjoyed today's conversation? We've had a really good conversation. I think we dived into the needed conversation around everything that's gone on in the world, uh, particularly after the Euros final and what that meant. I like that we dived into it, but we also were sure today to look for a bit of optimism, Has, and I think we found some, didn't we? We definitely found some optimism and um, we, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation, even though it was inevitably going to be pretty, pretty tricky around the aftermath of the Euros. But I think it was a really good conversation and uh, a nice one to see us into the break. So, Josh, what should people do if they want to follow us? They should um, come and get us on Instagram at 115 miles pod. And they should also leave us a review and not forget who we are and make sure that they watch out for that new episode that will come uh, in September, early September. And we're very excited about it. This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. Living exactly 115 miles apart, our lives could not have been more different growing up, yet we find ourselves today as really good friends with many similar outlooks and perspectives. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture and everything in between. It is the last day of term for us. Why is it the last day of term for us? It's the last day of the school year for us. The last day of the school year. This is the last episode of this season that we can now call it, right? Because we're going to be taking a oh, break. It's been, it's been yeah, a, a, a very long season. A bit like the COVID season. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. And we're going to have a well-earned break. Do you know what, actually? I was thinking about it this morning and about the break. And um, it is actually, it in the world that we live in, the society that we live in, right? Doing a topical debate show and like, I feel a little bit of pressure to keep up with what's going on in the world as a result. It's very taxing, mate, because all nothing that's topical in our world, apart from scratching around for a reason to be cheerful at the end, not much of it is like nice to have to think about, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, we have definitely not been. Uh, there's not. It's not been a drought of uh, things to keep us talking uh, about. Um, and actually, just as we sort of come into today, there's definitely some some very interesting things to talk about. Um, but I also feel like maybe um, the media rises to the surface, the shit stuff, right? Yeah. And you have to go digging for the good stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe one of the things we need to reflect on is uh, digging beyond be- beneath the surface uh, in the future and just, you know, tr- trying to pick out some of the the good news as well, right? Um, not just this stuff that's uh, well. Your 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 infatuation with Boris Johnson. <laughs> we're, gonna to, we're gonna have to get over that. To oh, be did you but see I suspect him? he may come up. He may come up today, unfortunately, <laughs> because uh, uh, he's been very prevalent. Um, so, how are you feeling, Tuesday, thirteenth of July? I'm still recovering. We were just li- talking a little bit about it. I'm still recovering from feeling very tired from going to bed at twelve o'clock. I have no idea how I used to hold down a job in my old life <laughs> because yesterday I stopped. I had a couple of things to get done and then I I went and I slept on the sofa for about an hour, about two o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. <laughs> Lucky for some. I was, <laughs> I was, I was down in London 
um, doing something very meaningful uh, with uh, with Power to Fight, the charity that I, I support. Um, and uh, we were we were meeting some candidates for a very important role there that's going to have a significant impact on the organisation. So I'm glad you enjoyed your two o'clock nap, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, what you said there is lucky for some, didn't you? Yeah. I just call it planning. You know, they didn't just that 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 final didn't just show up there. Uh, it'd been there for a while. Yeah, I, I did. I did have a go at Ben for his uh, for his planning. planning. Yeah. But to be honest, I was saying small mercies. I'm kind of glad we lost because my head was less fuzzy getting up at five thirty in the morning. Yeah, I thought he was going to go. I deep I had a then. reason to, huh? I thought he was going to go deep on, on, on being glad that we lost and, and, and what that meant for the country and all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, I think there is there is some stuff there that I'm sure we'll come into um, um, around not winning, you know, and, and the impact of that. But uh, how are you feeling about us not winning, Josh? From a football perspective, like from a, from a breaking it down and us not winning... I think Gareth Southgate is an incredible leader. I think he's an elite leader. I think the way that he's conducted himself and and helped the team to be conducted throughout the tournament in the face of everything has been impeccable. I think we reached the final largely because of that. Um, I did always feel that when we came up against an elite team with an elite manager coach that he would struggle and I think he did. That said, I do think he will learn from that. I do think I, I, what I get from him is he will go away from this and he will look and he will take this criticism. And I'm talking about the, the constructive criticism. He will look and say and think that a lot of knowledgeable people within the game are saying that he should have influenced the game in some way better and all that kind of stuff. I think he'll take away and I think he will improve as a manager as a result. Um, but to get to the final was nice. I really enjoyed the whole tournament in terms of my youngest two kids really got into it for the first time ever. My father-in-law watched every game with my father-in-law, laid food on for everyone, different food all of the time. Socially distanced? Uh, no, no, no social distancing in my house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, you don't have to I hope you put up some, uh, you know, some temporary perspex in between, yeah. uh, you know, each each family and bubble. Le- left the windows open. Uh, yeah, we stayed vigilant. We stayed vigilant. We always did hands, face, space whenever he was over. Listen, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Joking aside, do you remember when, when, um, when, when, I think this is a reference to one of our earlier, one of our early... Um, yeah. episodes yeah, yeah. when everyone had to caveat everything that they were doing when or talk when they were talking to people with uh, inverted commas socially socially distanced yeah but well you still do to a degree don't you that's why I was I was being strong in my reaction when I said nope I no social do, distancing do people now I, I mean I think that's an interesting place we'll go to now I just think it seems to me people have really just moved away now and and now I see sort of things just happening out of habit so people one might just, if there's like antibacterial uh, kind of, what is it? What, they, what is it? Antibacterial wash on gel. the table. Gel. Yeah. yeah. To just, you know, out of habit, just start cleaning their hands. And uh, yeah. I just think that's... Everyone's you know, got dry hygiene. hands. Everyone's got hands like Steve McManaman now. <laughs> Does he have soft hands? 
No, I always think they look a bit dry when he's on BT. <laughs> when he's on BT. Oh, I'm going to have to have a... You notice the strangest <laughs> things. Um, anyway, back to Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I agree. I think he'll learn. Um, I enjoyed the tournament. Um, I had... Yeah, my kids were getting more involved uh, as, obviously, as England were getting, you know, further and further towards the end. Um, and I think the way Gareth Southgate has carried himself... Um, not only you know in you know getting to a final is no joke when you know we're yeah. you know, getting through all of the the group stages and then into the knockouts and keeping a team together and winning games like it, it, that's huge. So yeah. footballing wise, he did really well. But I think beyond that, just as a leader, a human being, a leader among you know amongst those players and what he represented and the way he carried himself. That that is immeasurable, you yeah. Know, that, like the impact that he's had, I think that's incredible, and and to be able to conduct himself in that way, and um, a, and, and culturally, how he's changed England as a team was a massive job, and uh, was something that every manager that's gone before him since perhaps Terry Venables has failed. At. Yeah, you know that yeah. that that culture, that kind of perhaps squabbling in between the 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 big club divides and all of that. So I think do, he's done do amazing. You think, do you think? Uh, there's any part of that um, to do with the fact that in between Terry Venables and Gareth Southgate, we had lots of international input, international managers that didn't really get the culture. Do you think that? Do you think that makes a difference in national sport? Um, it's hard to tell because Roy Hodgson was in there and he was the worst of the lot. <laughs> Yeah, good point. <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know. I think it takes a good leader to change a culture, and I think it takes a good leader to sit down and and and, and recognise what's needed. I think you make a point. You know, to to your point, when you look at Capello that come in there, he tried to turn us into um, Italian people, and we're not Italian people, so it never worked. Do you know what I mean? What he does with the Italian cultures of locking them down and all that kind of obviously works there. Um, it didn't work here, so I think Southgate. You mean you mean it, it, it? You mean his football methodology as opposed to Italian people? Because no, Italian people aren't locked down. No, but culturally they are. When they go away, they they find it much easier to be locked in their hotels and to not be together doing the kind of they they, they uh, uh, culturally. When he came, anyway, they were like wore suits to every single game. It was very strict rules. No catch up. You sit where I tell you to sit. Uh, yeah, and what I'm pointing well. to is I wonder if that's just him, his style, autocratic style, but also maybe there's kind of a more discipline-led approach in football, but not, you were saying, like, Italian people. I, I think culturally, that, culturally. I think, I think maybe Italian people might eat ketchup sometimes. No, but culturally, culturally-wise, within the ways in which they're in their football culture, they... Football ma- culture. Yeah. yeah, football culture, yeah. So what I mean is, Football culture, not on the football pitch, not his strict tactical football style. I mean, football culture on the pitch. Like when De Canio did the same thing, innit? Took the ketchup okay. away. Why are you looking okay. at me like I'm being... No, 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 no. I'm j- I was trying to make a point that I don't think it's necessarily about being Italian, but it was just about, you know... The, the, no, but in a... The, but but let Italian me just, football let me just culture, say, yeah. Okay, let me just say that I think... Um, I think relatability and resonance is really important. So yeah. it doesn't matter, I think, if, 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 um, and this is kind of elevating it away from football and into leadership. I think relatability, resonance, you don't have to necessarily be 
their friend. Um, and I think Gareth Southgate probably demonstrated the ability to be uh, relatable and resonant, but then pull away and be a leader. I think um, some managers just feel like they need to have such a distance and they just need to have their rules and you just follow. Yeah. And that works, you know, for some organisations where you need a clear leader and people don't, you know, in the army, you don't want people questioning your methods. You just, no. you know, that because yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it's built upon. So I think there's different different strokes for different folks. But I think, um, you know, I don't think it's it, it matters if you're not from, you know, from the same place, but it just matters that you can understand the culture um, and you can kind of influence it in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, age has been very good to Gareth Southgate as well, hasn't he? Hasn't it? He's aged yeah. very well. He's a, he yes, seems like yeah. a very good looking man now. And I don't think you would have said that back in the day. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he is have been good to him. Yeah, yeah, and he looks like he like smells, you. smells good as well. Yeah, yes, very much like me has. Is he a good? Uh, you think he's a good smeller, like Rishi? I don't think he smells as um, rich. Gareth Southgate would be more fresh. So Richie Sunak, Reggie, Richie, is it Richie or Reggie? <laughs> Let's call him Reggie Sunak. Reggie's, I think Reggie's better, isn't Reggie, Reggie Sunak. Reggie Sunak. Um, he, more floral he, notes with Reggie. No, more deep, you know, like a strong, not vanilla, but like a deep sort of, wow, that's like really powering and nice. Uh, whereas I think Gareth Southgate would smell much more clean, fresh, more lemon zesty. Um, in his More in radox his, active. In his, <laughs> yeah. Probably washes his hands a lot, even pre-COVID. Um, Just and probably uses like probably has like Dove soap dispensers everywhere in the house and that, and moisturizer. What else I was going to say about him, by the way, um, is um, he talks a lot about resilience as well and having come back from uh, from from everything that he's come back from, and I think he has to talk about that because he hasn't he hasn't won anything in his career. Well, uh, I, I looked it up actually after we were we were checking, and um, he has like won a cup with Middlesbrough, and what he cup? did win the he, he he was the captain of Crystal Palace when uh, they were in the first division. So not sort of like <laughs> big big stuff, but you know he's he's won some stuff. Let me say this um, though. Let me say this just quickly before you go on to the next thing. Uh, when he missed the penalty against uh, Germany in 96 and then he did a pizza advert with a bag over his head. Can you imagine if the three lads now did a pizza advert with a bag? It just would like, it was funny mm. when Gareth Southgate did it, wasn't it back then? Everyone thought it was brilliant. Do you know what? I bet it wasn't, fu- I bet it wasn't funny for him. Even though like he did it and, you know, and I'm sure there was money involved. I bet it wasn't funny for him. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Um, Staying staying around the topic, um, football didn't come home, but racism did. Yeah. What do you think about that? Look, there's so many layers of, of where to start with it, right? And I think racism doesn't happen because somebody misses a penalty. Racism happens because racists exist, right? And I think now is the time for us to start getting really clear about this and what it is in our country. A lot of people take to social media and say that racism is unacceptable. That's not true. 
racism is fully, maybe not fully, racism is acceptable in our country. It's Accepted? Not... Is that what you mean? Yeah. So it's... No, 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 oh, no. no. In... We are, yeah, we are yeah, led by a leader. Okay. We are led by a leader yeah. who is openly yeah, racist. That's made it acceptable. And that has yeah. made it acceptable. Racism is acceptable, right? Um, and the, at the start of the tournament, I, I, I think Gary Neville talked very well about this. I saw that yesterday. Uh, but Gareth Southgate came out and said, my players will be taking a knee to, to, against discrimination and against racism. That's why they are taking a knee, right? Forget anything else or anything else that you think it might be. My players have decided they're going to carry on taking a knee for these reasons. And the comments that were made by Boris Johnson and the rest of the people that are involved with him after that, right, basically said that it was acceptable for everybody to boot him and that they thought it was gesture polit politics and all that kind of stuff. The same man who stood on a massive St. George flag and had a picture taken of himself from the sky, right? The, the, the biggest gesture politics man going, the one who put an English shirt over his suit when he stood in the crowd at the final, right? So, so racism has been made acceptable and is acceptable within our society. We live in, a, we live in Great Britain, we're called Great Britain and we need to get serious about this stuff. I think it's called Great Britain. The reason it's called Great Britain is because we, we, because of the way that we took over the rest of the world, right? I grew up, I don't know how much different it is now, right? I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable enough, but I grew up being told both consciously and unconsciously that um, I am better than, than people that I am better full stop because I was born in England. And the stuff about my skin sub was much more perhaps subconsciously, but I was told that I was better because I'm white. I've been taught that all of my life, both in school mm. and in all the narratives everywhere else, right? Yeah. So until we get, I think, until we get clear about that, so then how do you go on to create a racist? Well, then if you have a dysfunctional environment and a dysfunctional system, Right, where if you end up feeling lost and a bit lonely as a young kid, right, then all of a sudden you can over-identify with your flag and think, well, actually, it doesn't matter that I hate myself so desperately. I'm English, so I'm better than everyone anyway, right? And then you over-identify with that. And I think that's what happens. And then you grow up uh, with perceptions of anyone that's not English, right? And then you, and, and then you live now in this society to cap it all off. Uh, where the prime minister is openly racist, openly racist, uh, you know, talks about the letterboxes and, uh, and and all that kind of stuff, everything that we know that he does, right? And it's never fully beat down. Most, most is probably wrong. A, a large portion of white English people believe that black people have a chip on their shoulder. That's what they believe because they don't, they don't, want to look and understand why people may be upset and may be trying to do stuff. So I don't know. There was a part, I'm trying to describe, there's a part of me that um, gets a bit angry and sort of pent up when I see so much posturing the day after what's happened. What do you mean by posturing? Well, just going you on social- allyship posturing? Just going on social media saying racism is unacceptable. It's disgusting. I hate race because now what you've got like is is this 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 like way that we just posture on social media, 
and we posture ex, you know, like everyone does with COVID, where you, where you have this perception of who you are and the way in which you turn up, right? And I'll tell you now, and there's a large percentage of the people that were on social media yesterday saying that you shouldn't be racist and all that kind of stuff will go home and quietly behind closed doors still be racist. And sometimes without even bloody knowing. So um, I, I I don't even really buy into some of the... Uh, uh, some of the kind of like reaction that I saw online yesterday. Okay. Um, so I think firstly, it's obvious that, you know, Boris Johnson and um, has fueled a culture, but it's, it's, um, and I'm not, I know you're not saying this, but it's important for me to say this is that, you know, racism didn't start with Boris Johnson becoming prime minister. Mm. And it's really quite easy to point to that and say, well, this was kind of the beginning. It's dangerous to, because people might point to it and say, well, this is what feel, this is what it, where it began. But there's, you know, there is evidence of institutional racism across education, across uh, medicine, like uh, NHS, across policing, of course, across the judicial system with, um, you know, with, uh, uh, different sentencing uh, meted out to uh, different people depending on the color of your skin. Uh, the kind of the, the the impact of poverty and the uh, the impact of socio economic kind of um, um, class structures have just like this didn't just get invented just because Boris Johnson decided mm. he wanted to kind of be this way. Also, I, I heard somewhere once that you know something like don't blame the politicians the politicians are just the mouthpieces for the people the mm. reason he is so emboldened with his rhetoric is because he know he knew it would get him into power mm. so he just is, is piggybacking off of what already exists so and that points to the stuff that you were saying about you know the, the way you were kind of raised whether it was implicit or explicit um so i think all that happened yesterday or all that's been happening in the last few years, and I include kind of what's going on with Trump and what's going on with kind of other parts of Western Europe as well in terms of the far right, is um, social media ha- has fueled the ability to um, to vocalise these views but do it in but hide in plain sight. Mm. And... So people can just, you know, can basically set up fake accounts, um, individuals or even kind of insidious kind of organizations can set up fake accounts and they control knowing that there's never going to be any repercussion. But you can't unring a bell. Once it's out, it then gives permission to other people and then it happens and happens and happens. And, And I think social media, and we've talked about this, you know, several times for you know um deeply that you know social media has a challenging role to play in that it 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 can't just censor whoever it doesn't like the taste of i get that but at the same time it they are now um not just a tiny platform or a small platform amongst the few they are the media and the media has the ability to influence seismic shifts of opinion that that lead to changes of government 
or inactivity of people who think that you know there's no chance they're going to get their government in and that is having a really significant detrimental effect mm. now here's the thing people will be indignant and that's what happened yesterday and then they'll go back to their lives whereas black people are still going to suffer Asian people are still going to suffer. Chinese people are still going to suffer. And I'm not saying that there is no white suffering. Of course there is. There is, you know, it's multi-layered, it's intersectional. But particularly as it comes to race, which is what we're talking about right now, people would just, when we finish this call, you can just be the white guy again and go about your business. Mm. And and there are several things you just won't have to think about that I have to think about. Mm. And like my other brothers and sisters who are non-white in this country. And that's, not to give you a hard time, not at all, but I think allies, this is the thing that's really bothering me about um, what happens, because we saw it um, with uh, George Floyd. Allyship feels really seasonal. Mm. Like, of course, there was a big fervor. Everyone felt like united as a country. Um, and then, you know, those that know knew that as soon as those boys <laughs> missed those penalties... You, you knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm. So so I'm. S- there are lots of people that were sort of surprised or shocked but and they're coming out, but I don't know. Are they still going to put the same level of attention and energy into their, you know, them feeling really passionate about change a mm. week's time and in two weeks' time, in a month's time? Are they going to show up in six months' time? Are they going to show up in a year's time? Evidence has shown that that doesn't happen. Mm. So when... You know, when we see this, um, then, you know, we, it needs to be backed up by serious change. It needs to be backed up by uh, change at, at, at an organisational and a structural level. And the, the reason I feel very despondent is because when you look to the top of the tree at the moment, you've got Boris Johnson's government, who you quite rightly pointed out, is basically fueling the flames of this fire. Mm-hmm. And then you come, you've got Labour who's coming with an empty fire hose, mm. an empty bucket. So, like, where does change come from? So I think it's important, you know, people coming up on social media yesterday had an impact in a positive mm. way because mm. it, it gave, instru- like, it gave instructions on how to do something different. It said, go find the people, go find the accounts, report them, try and find them on LinkedIn and then out that person and and you know i definitely read of an example i think it was at savills where somebody savills, yeah yeah where basically someone had said some really vitriolic stuff and they suspended him and savills came out publicly more stuff like that action needs to happen but it needs to happen consistently like it can't just happen as a result of this and i don't know the answer to that but i think it has to come at an organizational structural level and uh i think you know just to finish the point uh, uh Gareth Southgate, the England team, they proved why it was necessary to take the knee. A lot of people have started talking about the value of taking the knee. And even myself, when I sort of used to see it at the beginning of every Premier League match, you think it's almost become a bit of a, you know, it's almost just become a bit of a thing that it's done without thinking about it. But actually, it's really important because mm. it not not to people that kind of understand that racism never went away and it existed way before the the, the euro started but it is uh important that it still keeps it in the conscious and that drives change 
Yeah, and I've seen lots of because I was one of the people that was swaying towards it being a bit silly, like now, like it lost a bit its overly power. symbolic now, and a bit overly, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I understand the need, but I was worried that that it was becoming, uh, you know, not doing what it needed to do. But I've sort of completely swung back the other way now. Particularly, I've seen I've seen some people that I really respect online posting stuff about like. Um, kids taking the knee and stuff like that you know a lot of kids are doing it before they play now at like lunch times and stuff like that so it's getting to the kids do do you think um when you look at this england team do you, because they're different right as in to what we might have seen in in years gone by um in that they they said they're going to go and they're going to take the knee they're going to you know they wear the rainbow armband um the kind of work that they all do, you know, from Rashford um, to Henderson to uh, Grealish, right? Just to the first few to pop into my head, they do really, really good work. Um, do you think that they are more representative of the younger generation that's coming up? Is there hope looking at that, that the next generation that's coming up, or is that always true to a degree that young people and then, the world hardens people up and then they become horrible and full of hate and all that kind of stuff. Do you understand the question? Yeah. I mean, I do think, I do think um, there is a generational shift. I th also think it's representative of society now. So I don't know if, if Gary, you know, uh, if Gary Lineker was coming up now through football, would he do it? Maybe if, John Barnes was maybe if uh, you know like you know players in my era I think there was you know I look back at I look back at the 80s and realise how um, how thoroughly um, oppressive and racist uh, it was mm. you know and it's weird because I don't even have that recollection as a kid growing up but also probably because I didn't see much of the world at that point I was just kind of emerging through life at that point but when you look back at things from the 80s and even early 90s, early mid 90s, just realise how very different it was. And it's only, I think, um, it's only uh, sort of towards the end of the 90s, early 2000s, where, you know, where things, you know, m you know mid 90s onwards is where it just started to integrate a bit more. Um, so I think it's a product of the environment. The world has shifted. You know, social media has definitely played a role in it. Um, and, and I think, um, I think the voice that you, you know, the, the courageous voice that you hear some of the, um, players using Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, um, around their experiences, Tyrone Mings came out yesterday. I think they know that there is, uh, they're not alone, you know, there's still a, a big, you know, a big majority that they're fighting against in a way but they're not alone and I think that's fueling but also um, what I will say is I do believe that Generation Z um, Generation Alpha which is the, the our kids and they're, them coming up younger millennials um, they are looking at the world differently than they are um, looking at the world better when you say differently better better yeah better better yeah I, do I mean, think I think that... there's still a lot of work to do, but I think that, that it is better. Yeah. Um, 
So there's real optimism in what you've just said there, right? Yeah. But it doesn't feel when you look out into the world like there is, right? Like, so so from what you've just said there, you, you, you might take that and say things look like they're improving if you were to show um, uh, a next slide, please type graph, right? And, and give us a line graph of, I don't know, you know, high being things are really good and racism's on its way out. You, you would think that based on what we've just said there, that line might be heading towards it being good, right? But but then but then it doesn't feel like that. So, like, to ask you a simple question, is the country, is racism, is the country more racist now than it was 20 years ago? Is it the same? Uh, is it is it not the same? Is it just more now that because social media, the racism isn't just something that goes on behind closed doors in certain pubs, it's just can now be brought out to the surface on social media and not punished. I, I genuinely can't answer that. Yeah. Because I don't think we're looking at apples and apples, right? So social media is just a platform that didn't exist 20 yeah. years ago. Mm. Um, however, my intuition is that we're more racist. Right. Because, because there is a bigger fear of integration and there is, there is more... Um, uh, there is more awareness of uh, there is more awareness of kind of oppressive structures, and there's obviously a lot of work that's going into it. But then you're starting to now get more people that may have been a bit more centrist, maybe not, maybe just didn't have as strong views, being pushed further to the extreme of the yeah. right hand side. Do you think? Do you but think, I, I don't think... know. I mean, I'm sure we could look it up in our summer break and come back and talk uh, and talk on it. Cause I think it's an important thing to explore. I think it would be hard to, 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 to get statistics on it though. Right. Because you, what, what statistics yeah. would you look at to understand it? Cause you could go, well, the only know, way that they would probably like would be, um, it would be race, hate crime numbers. And yeah, but even that know, would be very subjective, right? Because it would be, yeah. you, you'd have to look at, uh, the ability to be able to report it more, who, all of that kind of stuff. Right, and then it yeah. being much more uh, explicit than being implicit. Um, yeah. So even, but you know why I'm not optimistic hard. yet, though. Sorry, I, I do, I do believe in the in in the youth. Um, I really do. The reason I'm not optimistic is because the the the, the world is still governed by, um, <laughs> um, and particularly our country, you know, is governed by elitist, uh, unrepresentative, male-dominated generation x's and you've got the 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 unelected house of lords as well um which is you know boomers and so you know until we until, and then so when when you got a new kind of until like new kind of younger people are starting to emerge into politics um you know kind of like some of the change you've started seeing the democratic party in the u.s um nothing like that we need voices that are representative of people that are being mm. affected right now so i think that that's got to start coming soon because they're sort of entering it it's just whether people enter into politics as a as a vocation you know like as a as a calling as a as a drive to change and, and i think when you start to really look at politics and you go beyond and you start understanding exactly how it all works it but that will take away optimism i tell you because the type of people that you want to get into politics, you know, would tend to not do very well in politics because of yeah, like there was a, there was that there was that um, Scottish MP that I thought was really interesting. Her name was Mahari Black, I think her name was, and she she got elected. And she was um, 
was she a Liberal Democrat or SNP? But she was just young, I think 26, and just really, really like spoke her mind and, and but she left politics you know she left politics yeah. and yeah, yeah um because what happens is um you get pulled into the structure which means the archaic way of doing things that's been done for centuries uh you know the eyes to the yes the nose to the you know all that sort of stupid pomp and ceremony and you know ways of doing things and governing and that's why so many crooks can just get away with so much because they just know how the system works yeah. you need to almost kind of crack open the system and then, and then you know, you go deeper than that as well and you look at the power and money that people want to hold on to, right? You're not going to get very far in politics if you start saying things that go against the grain because then you might stop certain people from funding certain things and then and, and, and then people lose grip on power. So, so when you look at it like that, it becomes like extremely demoralising because... Yeah, and um, though what I will say is... You know, special interests always play a role in politics in Western d- democracies, right? So, lob- you know, big, big firms lobby governments to, you know, to get their interests. Um, but the way that um, the way that we can the way that we can start to look at that is to open our eyes to what's going on. Is to um, always take the opportunities to vote to talk about stuff like this. But it, like, it's not good enough for me and you just to talk about it on our podcast. We then need to use our influence in the world to drive the conversation and hold people to account and hold ourselves to account. Um, and we've got to ask ourselves, are we doing that enough? Um, but also, um, I think what I am seeing in my research around Gen Z is um, they're more, you know, as a, as a kind of a as a kind of a generational demographic, um, they don't just take like. Um, face value stuff they explore deeper about kind of uh, 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 like say a company's um, ethics and values how they create stuff it's say if it's a like clothing company how they create it are they um, exploiting uh, nations in in producing their goods and so I think um, you know people will vote with their with the with the most powerful thing which is whether to put their pound or their dollar into something and I think that's mm. what you know that's going to be one of the ways that you can start to kind of influence hit hit them where it hurts um listen i want to just quickly ask something before before we before we um move on um uh today i i'm just going to read a statement to you and, and tell me what you think rules are made to be broken uh <laughs> what, what do you want me to do pick it up what do you think my... what do you think i mean by this uh, I don't know. Go on. Tell me why you've. Tell, tell me what you mean. Uh, the government is saying on the 19th of July, rules will be eased. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can you can go and do what you like, but be very careful. Yeah. Co- like cases are rising, hospitalizations are rising, deaths will rise. Yeah. What's going on there? I think it's to try and appease everybody. That's what I think they're trying to do. They're, 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 they're lifting all the restrictions and then if the cases rise, they do what they've done throughout the whole thing, which is like make everybody squib- squabble amongst themselves, right? So you've already yeah. seen it, well, yeah? I've seen it. Plausible seen- deniability. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you've like you've seen it, you see it already and it's, uh, I saw it online. Uh, I'll say the guy's name because he's a reporter. Owen Jones. 
you know, like mm. the the real left sided mm. guy. Mm. He put a um, he put um, a thing on Twitter where he said, anybody that doesn't wear a mask in a crowded area is just a loser. There's no other way of looking at it than just understanding that they're a complete loser, right? Um, and I just think. I quite like some of the things that he says, right? Because I'm like left and I so sometimes I'm like, yeah, come on. But I look at that and I think that's, that's like, that is the problem. One of the biggest problems we got, one of the biggest problems, I'm, that's a massive overreaction. One of the problems I think that we have in society is the people that think, everybody that thinks they're right thinks that they're, they're then allowed to kind of mudsling at the other side. And if you mm. look on Twitter, you get a lot of people that have had, that have openly talked about mental health, for example, I put myself in that category, right? but a lot of them, because they talk about their, their mental health openly, they kind of feel like they're allowed to sling mud and be horrible about other people just because they know that they're right because I'm one of the good ones and I've, do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of that that goes on online and then the, the mask wearing thing's going to become the new, the new Brexit thing, isn't it? Right? Where you're either sort of in or you're out and then it's everyone, it's, and that's what, um, I think the government like that. When we argue amongst ourselves, they get to just carry a crack on and do what they want to do. Well, they get to, um, they get to, and they've done this before. They did it with the beaches. And, and I remember when we talked about it, you know, it's, yeah. um, they didn't say, you know, you can't do this. And so what's happening is they're saying, right, we're going to open up and we're going to take the good feeling. We're going to take the balance of the economy. But when the inevitable cases rise, and they will, um, whenever there's more hospitalizations or whatever it is that happens, um, they'll be able to say, but we did tell you to be careful, didn't we? We did. You know, so it's your fault. And uh, you should argue amongst yourselves. Yeah. Don't look at us. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. And it's so transparent now. Um, And like, I'm just, you know, when we come back at the end of the summer, I'm sure we'll be talking about this. Because it's oh, so predictable. Yeah, because yeah, I, 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 listen, I think we'll be heading into lockdowns in the winter. That's my yeah. There's a pessimistic lot, of, there's a lot of speculation about that. There's a lot of speculation about that. So um, we just got to enjoy the summer that hasn't been really a great summer. A lot of rain. About to get hot though, mate. It's get, it's going to be hot this heat weekend. Wave. There's a heat wave coming, mate. Yeah, which I'm I'm very excited about. And listen, I, look, I think it's. I think it's great. Uh, listen, I think the world that we live in at the moment is absolutely ridiculous. The way things are at the moment is ridiculous. The the fact that you can see a full football stadium, no, I keep saying it, but a full football stadium like that and I wasn't allowed to go to my daughter's sports day, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous that if your kids, you, you still only allowed one visitor up the hospital. If you happen to have a child that's in, you've got to go and see him, take it in turns to go and see him. Uh, my nan, by the way, uh, is her, she's like 80 something, 80. Her kind of health now mentally is really, you know, starting to deteriorate. I believe that was sped up by the last year and a half where she was just locked in her house. I believe that that sped it up. Right. Um, and so all, all of this stuff and then, you know, they're, they're on about encouraging passports to be used in hospitality industry now, right? I don't know why the hospitality industry keeps getting hit so hard. So I'll be allowed to freely get on a busy tube 
and have my face in somebody else's face for the whole tube train without any kind of passport, but then I'm encouraged to show that I've had a vaccine to get into a pub or a restaurant. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. They're encouraging use of passport. They think it's a good idea to use these passports for, for vaccinations and stuff like that. And um, again, mate, it's so demoralizing, but I think so much of this comes back to money and power again. And and, and, and this, as soon as anything can become monetized, um, it becomes big business. And then, and then that's what happens. So, <laughs> nice, nice segue. Bring us right down just so we can, uh, I like what you did today. You just, you put, you make us feel so despondent and full of despair <laughs> that like the reasons to be cheerful is just going to make everyone super, super happy. Um, so Josh, in our last episode of the season of the summer, <laughs> don't let us down now. What's your reason to be cheerful? <laughs> it's so Actually, I've got a couple because it's the last of the season. I wanted to bring a few in. I want to talk about it's going to be a heat wave this weekend. This is my daughter's birthday party uh, on Sunday. Um, so she's got her friends over. The weather's going to be lovely. Big, massive, bouncy castle. It's her fifth birthday. Uh, incredible. Absolutely buzzing about it. I wanted to talk very quickly about, uh, despite all of the horrible stuff in the Euros, uh, it brought me and my kids and my, my sons loved the Euros. We talked about it. We all watched the football together. That was incredible. Um, and then, you know, I have a lot of hope in, 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 in the work that I get to do when I go into schools. I met somebody called um, Krish a few years ago, a couple of years ago. I went on his podcast, Tales to Inspire, which people should absolutely go and check out. Uh, and we've stayed connected ever since. I've never met him. Uh, I'll meet him for the first time next week to go into a school with him to work with year sixes. So like 10 and 11 year olds looking at emotional resilience and using tales to inspire his his organization uh, to, to give them some hope and some things to really take away. So I've given you a whole group of things. I think that's fitting for the end of the series to do that. Um, and yeah, despite that, look, we pull apart the things that we do. I do think there's reasons to be optimistic. And I do think that, um, we should make sure and not lose sight of all of the good that's going on in the world. Cause there is a lot of it. Brilliant. Um, mine does not compare to that really at all. So, uh, uh, I'm really excited that, um, that you've got a lovely Sunday uh, to look forward to um, and some sunshine to go with it. I think that's mm. the best news. Um, for me, um, the thing that I'm cheerful for is a break. And much as I uh, love doing this, I feel like it's good to um, just take a bit of a breather uh, mentally. I think it's really important that we not, we talk about it in our work out in the world. We talk about it a lot in our podcast. And to be able to just take a bit of space and time to just creatively re-nourish ourselves, um, you know, d devote ourselves to kind of some some being present with the family, all the things that we said that's really important, uh, or friends or whatever we want to do, I think is, is really good. I think just taking uh, a, a breather, I'm actually, um, we're, t we're, we're not delivering um, any sort of workshops or anything in August because, you know, a bit, a bit of time off and things like that. So that's going to be a really important um, re-energizing re-nourishing month so that's what i'm looking forward to spending more time with 
the family, the kids, and um, you're going to take me out to lunch uh, to Dishoom for losing our fancy football uh, <laughs> league as well. I'm just going to put that, you know, commit that to... Yeah, podcast, yeah. If you happens. ever commit to a date, we'll do it, right? I think it's September. I'm a busy we're guy, Josh. I got, <laughs> you know, I got to fit you in. It's not like I've got, yeah. But August should, yeah. August or I think we said early September. Didn't early we now, September actually, when the kids go back to yeah. school. Uh, yeah. Yes, mate. Good. And listen, we will be back. We're going to be back. We'll be starting again in September when the kids go back to school. This podcast. This isn't the end. It's just the beginning. Well, Ireland would be very disappointed, wouldn't it, Josh? Oh, uh, with our ratings. Email I yeah, with we're, our we're rankings very Ireland, high in yeah. Ireland at the moment, which is yeah. great. That's probably all the work you did with Pat. Yeah, it probably is. That's you're, you're, it. Le- you're, you're leveraging off of Pat's uh, numbers. Just, just hanging off his coattails, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I'm slightly disappointed that I gave a really good line that I thought would have been good to finish on and you, you didn't want to go there. What's the line? I said, this is not the end. It's just the beginning. Okay, let's just pretend it didn't get said and just go for it. Go on. Go on. We're coming back in September. Has this is not this is not This is not the end. It's just the beginning. Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kai.